RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Wednesday morning on Reality Check Radio, and uh, that is the morning that we have our appointment now, our weekly appointment with Dr. Glenn Davies of Reversal NZ in Taupo. And Glenn, good to see you again, or to hear from you again. I can see you, but they can't. Yeah. Um, you're looking good this morning. You obviously haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> no, absolutely not, but I've had my vitamin D. Ah, well, there was a lot of interest in breakfast when we chatted about breakfast last week. A lot of uh, emails and um, texts came through, and a lot of people already live that way. It was pretty clear from, from the engagement that, you know, many people are already on to that. Yeah, so this is a quick, um, a quick recap. All the magic happens when you're not eating. You know, that's, that's when these uh, damaged cells get cleaned out and uh, recycled and replaced. So I'm really pleased to hear that. Yep. Um, a lot of people already living that way and uh, many were interested in finding out more. And that's what this is all about, right? You're, we're not. This is not a consultation as such. This is just you imparting information and there are all the sources in the world that people can go out uh, and follow it up, right? That's that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah, we're, we're trying to stimulate interest, discussion, and um, yeah, it's about creating health. And health is about creating resilience and self-management. So the topic of vitamin D today, we're going to have a discussion about it. And yeah, like you say, I hope people will try that thing called Google and, and learn more. YouTube's good too, Paul. Do, do their own research. That's dangerous. Okay. Yeah. All right. Vitamin D. I've heard a lot about vitamin D recently. We don't need to really go into all the whys and wherefores of that, but uh, there's been a lot of talk, and it sounds to me like some sort of miracle substance thing, well, you know, vitamin. It sounds like a miracle thing. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. Yes, I absolutely think it is, and um, I think we need to define it. Is it a vitamin? Is it a hormone? Or actually, is it a medicine? And, and that's what I'd like to expand on this morning. So what is it? What is it? Okay, so let's look at it first of all as a vitamin. So when you think of a vitamin, just think of the assistant. It's a cofactor. It's involved in metabolic or biochemical processes, and it sort of has a little role along with many other things. So in terms of being a vitamin, it's a fat-soluble vitamin. So they can either be fat-soluble or water-soluble. The water-soluble ones, you can never overdose on them because you just uh, they come it comes out through the kidneys. You pee it out. Right. Fat-soluble ones, which is A, D, E, and K, they can build up, and there is the potential for them to be toxic. So that's why there there's a little bit more discussion about vitamin A, vitamin D, E, and K, but they're certainly cofactors in many processes in the body and that's where we think of it as a vitamin and there's this interesting concept as a vitamin it's called the recommended daily allowance that's the amount that you need to not develop a deficiency state and that's something like with vitamin d 400 to 800 international units a day which is a very small amount and that will it will prevent rickets in children and osteomalacia in adults, which is soft, bendy bones in children or brittle bones in adults. And that 400 to 800 international units is how much you need not to have those bone disorders. But 
as I'm, we're going to go on and talk about, there's a whole lot more to it than avoiding deficiency. You know, so when you think of it as a vitamin, 400 to 800 international units a day to avoid a deficiency state. So that's a minimum sort of amount needed to yeah. be able to walk. <laughs> it's a it's an absolute minimum and has nothing to do with optimal health, which is what we're discussing on the show. You know, far more than avoiding brittle bones, let's talk about what it might be to have ultimate or optimal health. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Ultimate health, that sounds great. All right. Because I remember getting some over the COVID time because that people were talking about it. And uh, I talked to the pharmacist or the um, yeah, the pharmacy I bought it from, and they also advised me to have another thing with it to uh, offset some effect. I can't quite remember, but I do remember that. It was another, you know, tablet that you took with it. So uh, you, you might It would have more. been, Paul, it probably would have. The, the main four things we were talking about was vitamin C, uh, vitamin D, zinc, and quercetin. Uh, and the, the quercetin makes the zinc more bioavailable. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the C and the D were for stimulating the immune system. So they were the four main ingredients. Well, it did all right because it didn't, get, didn't pick anything up at all through that period. Well okay, so how do you get it? What's the bit? I know going out in the sun does it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so it's called the sunlight hormone. And I reckon it must be an important hormone because there's two ways of getting it. So, you know, if the body protects itself in that way, I reckon it must be important. So it's called the sunlight hormone. And, and its conversion in the skin using sunlight is actually quite um, complex. Uh, but interestingly, it starts as a form of cholesterol, uh, which is called 7 dehydrocholesterol. I thought that was interesting. And then the ultraviolet light, the UVB reacts with it. And then it gets turned into vitamin D3 in the blood. And that's interestingly where the dietary sources enter as well. So the main dietary sources of vitamin D are liver, egg yolks, and oily fish. So when we talk about oily fish, we're talking about salmon, mackerel, sardines, um, kahawai, you know, so oily yep. fish. And then it gets goes to the liver. So it started in the skin. It's gone to the blood. It's now gone to the liver. And it gets converted into vitamin D2. And then that's where the plant sources of uh, vitamin D come in. And that's particularly some of the mushrooms, particularly shiitake mushrooms, the Japanese sort. And then it goes through one more step to the kidney and it gets converted into the active form of vitamin D. So it's a fairly complex process yeah. involving sunlight, skin, gut absorption, then through the liver, then through the kidneys. You know, so pretty complicated, I reckon, for the body to come up with such a complex arrangement. It must be quite important. So what, what does it do other than preventing brittle and soft bones? Well, it acts as a hormone and it can turn on or turn off over 200 genes. You know, so around the year 2000, we mapped the human genome and we thought, uh, we've got the solutions to every, you know, everything in medicine. And then we realized that's just the blueprint. Now, the important part is the genes are turned on and off by a whole lot of various factors. 
And vitamin D seems to be one of the key players in turning genes on and off. And so we want to turn off genes that cause cancer. We want to turn on genes that improve our energy and memory, et cetera, et cetera. So that's called epigenetics. It's probably one of the key factors in health. And vitamin D seems to be a key player in that. And you get it from sunlight. But then we've got this other side. You know, it's all about balance, eh? sort of yin and yang. We know that sunlight, too much of it, can cause skin cancer. So we've kind of got a problem there. How much sunlight do you get? So if we move on to that, there's lots of factors to play here. So one is your skin color plays a factor. So there's about a five times difference in the amount of vitamin D you make in the skin depending on the pigmentation of your skin. So Okay, well, I'm Mr. Pakia White Guy, so where am I on that? Yeah, you're going Continuum. to do well. However, probably um, still going to struggle despite having um, less pigmentation in your skin in the middle of winter. Um, also, latitude has an effect. So we're, we're sort of a long way from the equator, so that's going to cause us to struggle. Um, the season will be a difference. And then... We talked about this briefly last week, but sunscreen, sunscreen reduces the ability of the skin to make vitamin D. So we've got a lot of factors to play there. And so I imagine viewers are going to say, well, listeners are then going to say, well, how much? What's the prescription? Yeah. And I don't actually know that, but I think you probably should avoid getting sunburned. I think that's a pretty clear thing. And maybe something like 10 to 20 minutes of direct sunlight in the middle of the day, but depending on your skin color, you don't want to get red or burnt because that causes the risk of skin cancer. So, you know, and in the winter, it's going to be longer, clearly. And it's actually, if you can, whole body skin exposure. Now, I'm not wanting standing to... outside naked for a, for a, for a period of time. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not wanting to create a social disruption here. Not where you know, I so live, like, I can't do that, no. Yeah, so if it is appropriate to do that, that would be ideal. But for most of us that work in offices, I suggest that's not a good idea. Um, but maybe going outside at lunchtime, it, it's, it's in the middle of the day, sort of 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the, the rule is if your shadow is shorter than your height, you're probably making vitamin D, but not going to do it at dawn and dusk, basically. But you'd have to have a certain amount of surface area exposed. I mean, it's no good just having hands and a bit of face and a bit of, you know, front of your neck. You, you, what, yes. rolling up sleeves? Um, yeah, the more the I better. Mean, how much ex surface area exposure do you think you need for, for that to be yeah. meaningful? Well, completely naked would be ideal, but within um, social norms. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's getting a the balance right out on the here. farm, no problem. Out on the farm, presumably no problem. Yeah, <laughs> as long as there's no gorse or blackberry, but yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. That's another problem. Okay, um, so uh, even in winter months, there's still UV out there. I mean, it's still there, isn't it? It's not as if it's disappeared or anything. Yeah, and it's good for your mental health. It's good for your circadian rhythms. You know, it's not just vitamin D um, that encourages uh, us to go outside and get some sunlight. It's interesting so, how the, it's interesting how the body, like you mentioned before, has kind of a, a lot of redundancy built in in terms of getting this in. There's not just one route in, is there? There's multiple yeah. ways, and and you're right. That points to how 
kind of important it must be to the body. Yes. To and I, I imagine it's set up so that in the summer you'd get a higher proportion of vitamin D from sunlight, and in the winter you'd probably get a higher proportion from, you know, maybe preserved oily fish, for example, you know, smoked mackerel. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but, you know, I think that's probably the reason it happens with two mechanisms. But I want to go on to say that probably our diet and sunlight for a lot of people at certain times of the day is uh, certain times of the year is still not a lot because 50 to 60% of the world's population is vitamin D deficient despite sunlight and diet. So it brings up this next question of supplementation, which, which is interesting. So I think you probably get your recommended daily allowance, which is the minimum amount um, from your um, diet and from your sunlight. But I think most people need to consider also supplementing. Okay. Is there any downside to that? Obviously, you you, you can't overdose. Can you overdose on this? Yeah, so well, this is can. a fat, yeah. Yeah, fat soluble vitamin. So there is potentially a toxicity issue. And what what are what is that or what are those issues? I mean, how do you know that you you know you've you've maxed out too much? Yeah. So what that might look like, it's related to high levels of calcium in the blood, uh, and and the saying is stones, bones, abdominal groans, and psychic moans. That's the <laughs> that's the mnemonic yeah. of remembering um, what high calcium looks like. So uh, it would be forming kidney stones. Uh, it would be having brittle bones, so osteomalacia or osteoporosis, uh, abdominal symptoms. So that's could be anything: nausea, tummy pains, diarrhea, constipation, and then um, the psychic moans. Bits really interesting: depression, yeah. anxiety, and other more significant things. And you would have heard, I, I expect, of seasonal affective disorder or yep. sad. Yep. And and we tend to see more depression and low mood in winter and it's possible that that is related to low vitamin d levels from low sunlight conversion or or it's a factor yeah so do, do we know if supplementation in that case helps that because there would be literature on that wouldn't there There'd be plenty plenty of evidence you'd think on that yeah that i i haven't researched the literature on that specifically but i definitely have given people vitamin D at the beginning of winter and it has prevented them from getting their usual winter depression. So just anecdotally, anecdotally, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> from my own personal experience, yes, I think it does prevent seasonal affective disorder. None of this was talked about. Vitamin D was not mentioned at all in the last three years by any official health expert or agency as what I understood as a simple way to well stay at, stay at optimum through that period without having to go and do all the other things. Never mentioned once. Did I miss something? Uh, you didn't miss anything. You're quite right. It was We had an amazing opportunity during those COVID years to promote lifestyle medicine and the value of exercise uh, healthy nutrition, sunlight uh, to restore our health and to improve our immunity and improve our resistance to viral infections. We missed a huge opportunity. 
why did we miss that opportunity is, is a really interesting discussion. And there's kind of the germ theory and the host theory. This goes back to um, Pasteur and Beauchamp about 200 years ago. The germ theory sort of sees us as this vulnerable host. And if we're unlucky enough to come in contact with the germ, we will get sick. The host theory says, well, no, it's nothing like that. The germs are around all the time. Some of us get sick and some don't. And that's related to our resistance, our, our innate ability to resist. And that's where vitamin D um, exercise, um, vitamin C levels, et cetera, et cetera, come into play. And we should have been talking about that. We absolutely should have. And we missed that opportunity. And I think we were so focused on the germ theory and around the role of vaccination that we missed the opportunity to talk about these other things which are also important. So, yeah, missed opportunity, Paul. Yeah, and that, and that missed opportunity was a lot, was an easy thing to do. That's the thing. It was an easy thing. It, it didn't require a great shift in anything. Um, people understand that vitamins come in, as supplements. You don't need to do much education there. All you needed to do was, well, I could be wrong, but it's just get out there, give the information and endorse it. And and that would have been that. No new infrastructure, nothing. Um, yeah. Oh, well, missed opportunity, big time. Yeah, and even if it didn't have an impact on specifically on immunity, it has a fantastic effect on our mood. You know, so doing That's some good. exercise in the sunlight and eating well, you know, amazing, amazing impact on our mood. And in fact, it does have a huge impact on immunity and we should have taken that opportunity. We missed it and that was a real shame. Okay, I think you, you might have touched on it already, but should we go into, you know, specifically like if, you, if you're going to take vitamin D and ensure that you're not just beyond that baseline level, but up there for all the benefits, uh, how much to take? And, um, you know, you've mentioned uh, fish and supplements and, and how to break it down between those sources. Is, is that something we should look yeah. at? So when you, when you sort of look at standard advice, they're talking about maybe taking up to 1,000 international units a day. A lot of the people I've been looking at recently are talking about taking 5,000 to 10,000 international units a day. And there doesn't seem to be an issue with toxicity at even those very, very high, well, those apparently high doses of, um, of vitamin D. But there's a few important things to think about here. And it's important to take vitamin K2 and magnesium at the same time. Um, what that does is it means the calcium is deposited into the bones. That, and that's not the other supplement I was talking about. I okay. remember it now. Yeah, that, that was the one I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. What it means is that the, the calcium is deposited in bones and not deposited in soft tissues, particularly not deposited in the arteries of your heart. You know, so I think that's a really important thing to think about. Vitamin K2 as well as taking the vitamin D3. And then magnesium seems to have a role in that as well, ensuring that the calcium goes into the right place. And then it seems okay to be taking these higher doses of five to 10,000 international units per day. Can it, what can it prevent you getting? Yeah, there's a huge list there. So there's a role in, let's go through this, reduction in cancer risk, 
Um, it seems to improve brain health, so reduces anxiety, depression, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, and brain fog. So, you know, big, big role there. Um, and then cardiovascular health seems to prevent heart attacks and strokes, has a role in diabetes, has a role in high blood pressure, has a role in immunity, has a role in allergy, and has a role in energy levels. So, you know, I think, I think all of that's really important. And if we could just go on, there's some fascinating discussion from a doctor called Cicero Coimbra, and he's done research in multiple sclerosis. So that's a neurological condition where the insulation around the nerves is lost. And he's talked about a thousand people that he's managed personally and another 4,000 that he's managed within his group that there's been really good impact on multiple sclerosis. Uh, and he's talking about really, really high doses up to around 100,000 international units a day. Very, very high doses. So you know how we were talking at the beginning around 400 international yep. units a day? He's now talking around 100,000 international units. Now, no one listening to this go off and start taking 100,000 international units a day. Please don't do that. This is, this is carefully managed within a specialist clinic that's doing this research on multiple sclerosis, but it's just kind of really sort of giving a perspective of the amount of doses, you know, and I, I would be saying, I think you can take five to 10,000 international units daily and not get into any toxicity issues. Um, and what he's doing in his clinic, he's monitoring calcium levels, parathyroid hormone levels, kidney calcium levels, he's managing bone, you know, so there's a lot more to it, but it's just got this exciting potential to be used as a medicine uh, and, and not just with multiple sclerosis, also for rheumatoid arthritis and for Parkinson's disease and potentially for autism. Uh, also, psoriasis seems to improve and lupus, you know, so it's potential to be used as a medicine, I'm finding really exciting as well as its role as a vitamin and as a hormone. Is that strictly as a medicine or it repairs and rather than just, you know, treats symptoms or, or keeps symptoms at bay or lessens them, actually, you know, winds back the condition? Yeah, it seems to. And he's talking in his research of 70 to 80% um, prevention of relapse. So often what happens with multiple sclerosis is, people have a first event. Um, and then he's talking about after that first event, them never having another one or dramatically slowing down the relapse rate. So, and there's no other effective treatments for it. You know, so, you know, I think when you're talking about that potential benefit, it's worth taking the risk of having to be carefully monitored and, um, you know, the potential risk of toxicity, which doesn't seem to happen on his protocol. Interesting. So it's 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 working on genes. Is it turning genes on and off? Yes. The right, the right, or or sensing which ones need to be, you know, manipulated or controlled, and that's where the benefit to the body comes from. It's right, right at basic wiring level, by the sounds of it. Yeah, exactly. It's turning genes on and off where it seems to have its potential, 
and this exciting opportunity for further research. You know, if, um, just, just to finish that off, if people are interested in this um, Coimbra protocol for MS or rheumatoid arthritis, there's some excellent conversations on YouTube about that. And, you know, I'd be happy to have consultations with people, but no one please just go off and start taking those mega doses. You know, just look at doses of five to 10,000 uh, international units. And that's in fact endorsed by the Endocrine Society within the United States. So, you know, major bodies are endorsing that five to 10,000 international units per day. And in the concept of the health system of the future that we talked about a few weeks ago, would this be something that would be in there? Would have to be, wouldn't it? Well, I think it's always important that we do proper science on these things. And yeah, of course. unfortunately, um, Dr. Coimbra hasn't done the scientific research or published the scientific research that we would need probably to go make this mainstream, but he's done this initial work that creates the interest that will lead to that in the near future, I hope. Yeah, so the, the, the science of the future needs to be based on randomised controlled trials, you know, sound science, but we do always have to start with clinicians asking the questions, what might happen if we did this, you know, and that's exciting to me. Yeah, with um, strong anecdotal, I know it's not, you know, scientifically um, blind tested, all that sort of stuff, but you got to take notice of it, don't you? Mm. you got to say, hey, there's something here, it's come up on the radar, we've got to look more at this, not just ignore it, surely. Exactly, that's exactly right, Paul, yeah. All right, so that's vitamin D uh, on our Health Hacks program for this week. So uh, if anyone has any questions about it, I don't want you to be, you know, hit with an avalanche of stuff because you've got a day job you've got to get through. But um, if anyone has any, you know, seriously um, good questions, um, you're okay to, we'll fire those through and maybe get some answers in time, bearing in mind that sometimes it takes a bit of time to find out the specific information. So that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Paul. Okay. And then I, I thought, what should we talk about next week? Yeah, well, I was just about to ask you, what's next? Well, I thought we might um, delve a little bit into mental health and just a sort of a, a broad brush look at some of the simple things we might be able to do ourselves um, for mental health. Um, and we might look at the role of how effective are these SSRI medicines that are used for anxiety and depression. And um, might we be able to look at some simple things we can do ourselves that might be as effective or as an excellent adjunct to, um, to medication. So do you think mental health is still a, well, obviously it must be a physical process ultimately, right? has to be because it's contained within the body. Yep. There's definitely biochemistry, physiology, neurotransmitters, uh, nutrients, uh, all those things are, are firing around inside our brains. And what are you seeing? I'm just curious, the front line, because we do hear that there's a mental health crisis um, and there may well be. Um, what are you, without giving you know anything away that you shouldn't, do, do you, have you seen an, an uptick in those problems? Is it, you know, is it becoming a bigger problem? Uh, what's yeah. your impression? It's absolutely increasing, becoming a bigger problem. And 
I don't think we have a lot of new answers in standard medicine to to meet that increased need. So I think, um, you know, what we'll talk about next week is what can people do themselves? This is all about empowerment and self-management. What are simple but highly effective things that people can do themselves uh, to improve their own mental health before they look at pharmaceutical options or as well as they look at pharmaceutical options, which is kind of the theme of what we're going to be talking about in the Health Hacks show. Sounds good. I'm just wondering, um, how do you know that you've got a mental health problem? How do you know you've, uh, I'm not asking you for a full thing, I'm just curious, how do you know you've sort of tripped over a line between natural disappointment and negativity or whatever, and you're in a territory where, You've crossed a line somewhere. How do you know? Yeah, that, that's a fascinating question, isn't it? I, I think, do you still experience joy in your life? And when you're not experiencing joy, either because your mood is low or you're feeling high levels of anxiety, I think that's where you've crossed the line. Um, and I don't expect people to feel joyful 365 days no. of the year. But when you lose the ability to experience joy, I think that's when you might look at this topic and ask, are there things that I could be doing to feel more joy in my life? Okay, well, I look forward to the joy next week, next Wednesday. Health yeah, hacks. We'll, we'll enjoy ourselves. <laughs> we will. We'll find joy in it, Glenn. We will find joy in it. It's those little moments, registering those moments. You don't have to be joyous every minute of the day, but you need to register the moments and feel it, don't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right. Thanks for popping in again this week with Health Hacks, Dr. Glenn Davies, and we look forward to next Wednesday and more of a concentration on mental health. I think a lot of people have come away with information they can use. If they want to find out more about vitamin D. You've given a good overview, and uh, let's see what people have to say. So good to talk with you again, Glenn. Look forward to next week. All right, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.